Hello, everyone. This is Stories from the Well, a podcast brought to you by The Well, a faith community in Tulsa that gathers every week around a shared meal to help each other find our place in God's story. We do that through food, conversation, fun, music, and of course, storytelling. Often, our story is from the life of Jesus, but sometimes it is from history or happenings in our world or from one of us. The Stories from the Well podcast highlights the experiences of people we think are doing good things and have something meaningful to say about life and faith. You can listen on a walk or in the car or with friends and family around the dinner table. And as you listen, ask yourself this question. Why does this person's story matter to me? Welcome to our table. Welcome to Stories from the Well. Today, I am so excited uh, for our this, this episode of Stories from the Well. I get to have a conversation with Alexandria Nicole and Angelo Hurling. They are musicians that play in our band at the Well. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about how I met them and why we're talking to them today. First of all, when we started the Well two years ago, two and a half years ago, actually, I kept thinking, I need to find some folks who understand what we're doing musically at the well and that are great musicians and want to be a part of this project. And so I knew a lot of musicians that already had things happening um, at other places on um, Sundays and had a couple of friends that I had gathered, but I, I needed to fill out the band. And so I literally was watching my friend Edison Hill's Instagram feed during Mayfest one spring and stalking musicians on that and I saw the video of the band Clueless which is their band and heard Alexandria singing and thought oh I love her voice and I would love to talk to her so I I reached out to her on Instagram had nothing knew nothing about her she knew nothing about me and I was like do you want to come and have coffee and talk about this thing I'm doing and that's where it started. We had, I think, this like long conversation. I know you had to run off to work, but like we really had this wonderful conversation about everything except the music we were doing. I mean, it was about life and our own journeys as musicians and our faith and what's happening in the world. And I knew at the end of that conversation that they might be a great addition to what we were doing. And so that's how it started. And they began playing for us and have been a part of what we're doing a couple times a month for over a year now, I think. So I'm excited today because I know about their music and what they've been doing the last year for us, but it's even a conversation where I get to get to know them more and hear more of their story. And I want it to kind of be this continuation of the conversation that Alexandria and I started um, you know, a year and a half ago because there's so much about our music that is also about our whole lives. So I wanted to say hello to them. Hello, Alexandria and Angelo. Hi. Hello. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. Um, so I've already told you they are a part of, they started the band Clueless, and I'll let you tell them a little bit more about what the band has been doing and some of the things they get to, um, where they get to perform. I also want you to know that um, Alexandria teaches voice at 
Anthem Road Academy. Thank you. It mm-hmm. was like on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> Anthem Road Academy. And then Angelo has a production uh, company called... Hurling Productions. Yay! Plug for what they're doing <laughs> in their jobs and vocations. And so that is um, what they do in, in addition to being musicians who are playing everywhere in Tulsa. Um, and I just thank you for doing this today. Thank you for sharing a little bit of your story and, you know, helping us tell another story about what it means to pursue life and faith in community. That's really kind of my goal. So thanks, you guys. Not of course. Okay, so here's where I want to start. Oh, by the way, they are actually going to do some music for us today, too. So before I ask them the first question, uh, we we have a little song that they're going to uh, share with us, and then we'll come back and we'll start the actual conversation. Yeah, so this song uh, is called That's All I Want, and it is about a woman kind of just living her life carelessly she's in a really good space and she's in love she finds love she's found love and she's expressing um to this person that she loves how he makes her feel and that she's come to the realization that that's all she wants
Oh, thank you so much. What a great way to start. I, I'm just so excited you guys are going to be sharing some of your music today. So we'll, we have some more music coming in a little bit, but I just want to turn it over to you guys uh, for a few minutes to just tell us a little bit about your story. Like this is the part where even I get to learn a bit more about how, how you got to where you are right now. So this is really um, anything that you want to talk to talk about that is just your story that makes, you know, that you want to introduce yourselves as. So. Okay. Do you want me to go first? Sure. Okay. Um, well, I am a Tulsa native. I grew up here. Um, music is truly my life. I've been singing since I was about two years old. I remember um, my parents telling me that when I was uh, two, my dad was in the back doing laundry or something, and Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody came on TV, and I was dancing, <laughs> and I just kept singing the chorus over and over. And so I've been singing ever since. It's just something that I've I've loved. Um, my mom bought me my first little Casio keyboard, and I'd write my own songs. And I had a karaoke machine, and <laughs> kind of just taught myself how to do a lot of things. But yeah, I grew up here, um, Tulsa. I mean, of course, I feel like everyone that's lived here always says like they want to move and go somewhere else. So I've had those moments, and I still have that moment. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, I, I feel like Tulsa definitely, obviously played a huge part as to whom I am today. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what else to say, but well, that's a good start. Yeah, <laughs> Angelo, how about you? Okay, well, uh, I am not a Tulsa native. Ah, yeah. <laughs> so I am originally from Detroit, Michigan. Born and raised. That's right, yeah. Yep, still have my 313 area code. <laughs> it's the only part of home I have left. So, yeah, born and raised Detroit, Michigan. Um, I did not start playing at two. <laughs> yeah, music came a lot later in life for me. I didn't start playing until I was 13. I want to say 13 yeah. or 14. 13, because was, it was high school. So, yeah, I started playing at 13. Uh, grew up in church, and I guess, you know, kind of just got tired of sitting there. <laughs> Every, you know, all the services. You know, we had Sunday and Tuesday, and my parents were youth pastors, so it seems like uh, we lived at the church. My and kids can my kids can commiserate with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, might as well do something. Now, my parents did buy my brother uh, a keyboard. I don't know if it was a Casio. I feel like it may have been the Casio, actually. <laughs> Mine had batteries and it has it where was, you plugged it up. There you go. I would carry it. And I'd be like, Mama, let me show you what I made up. <laughs> I feel like it may have been a Casio. But yeah, they got him a keyboard for Christmas one year, sat there. And um, he picked it up at some point. That's my older brother. So, of course, I tried to, you know, do what my big brother was doing. And the music just, you know, it just became a huge part of my life. So, yeah, there's that. Came to Tulsa back in 2009. I actually came here to go to ORU. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's how it all started. And you stayed. You stayed when you got done. right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's warmer here. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah. But cooler summers in Detroit, so you you have to decide what your poison is, right? (laughs) A a really harsh winter or a really hot summer. Mm -hmm. If I could have... If I could have <laughs> Tulsa winters and Michigan summers, yep, that's that's incredible. Well, for maybe me. you should I'm move content. to I don't know 
That's the question. <laughs> Costa Rica or something. We we have this joke at our house because I want Denver. I want. Oh, <laughs> yep. I know. We have to all remember to turn all that stuff off. Right. That's okay. We are we are uh, uh, we are a casual podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, we uh, we have a joke at our house because I want Colorado summers and Oklahoma winters, but we also joke about like okay retirement. A, a cabin on the beach is that a thing? Because I want <laughs> I want the mountains and he wants the ocean. So, um, okay. So I would love to know, and this is kind of I don't know if this is a big question or a, a small question for you. You'll have to tell us. But if you were to summarize getting to this point in your life so far, like what would you say are your defining moments? Hmm. I think I have a few. Okay. Okay, so I think one of my defining moments would be my parents investing in my craft. I don't think that they meant to because they definitely wanted me to be an accountant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, I think that they invested in it on accident because it's just like, you know, you have your Christmas list and this is stuff that Santa's giving you. right. And so with them getting me that Casio piano and that karaoke machine, I literally, and you can even ask my brother, like, would be in my room listening to music all day. I had a little CD player. I know people now, (laughs) I don't know if anyone younger will listen to this, but we did have portable CD players. Um, and I would listen to music all the time, and I would just be in my room just basically screaming out the songs. And so... I believe that is a defining moment for my music career. Um, I think as an adult, a defining moment for me would have been, um, and this is me being a tad bit transparent, but when I uh, left a church I was serving at, it was a pretty defining moment for me um, of really just walking in my boldness Um, and truly trusting God and walking in faith because I think a lot of my quote-unquote faith came from um, the opinions of others and really needing that validation from others Uh and not truly finding my worth in in Christ. And so that would be another defining moment. And then also I think this season of my life that I'm in currently is – truly defining and helping and also reminding me of the childlike faith that I have. So, yeah. I, I love that you're thinking, I think right now what's happening is, is defining also. And I will say, like, I would hope to hear that because I th- think you guys are, you know, 30 years younger than me. So <laughs> 30, at least 20, <laughs> 25. So I, I think that that's awesome because there's just still so much ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, Angela, what about you? Uh, okay. So, I'd say uh, I'd have a couple as well. I think the first being, uh, the first one that at least uh, comes to mind is um, being introduced to music um, in church. I think that was defining for yeah. uh, the path that I'm currently on. I think that that played a huge part and uh, and it shaped me 
in a way. It was it's like training, honestly. Like growing up, I'm gonna tell you, growing up in church and specifically growing up in black church mm-hmm. is as a musician, it is training. There's so much that is expected that is not communicated. Oh wow, yeah. Like if someone comes up to sing a song so I grew up uh, in Church of God in Christ and we have mm-hmm. Friday night services and um, someone can get up one we had an organ there was no piano okay so there's an organ and someone can get up and sing whatever song they could have just made this song up and you're expected to know this song and to, if you don't know it pick it up within basically like half a second <laughs> that's incredible and, like go like you need to know it and if not somebody's looking at you like you're crazy it's live lesson in ear training huh oh man yes it's a it's a lot of pressure Hmm. it's a it's definitely a lot of pressure but i say that was definitely a a defining moment for me i think coming to oklahoma coming to tulsa and you know going to oiu was a defining moment for me because my parents weren't really supportive of uh, a career in music either my parents, I don't think they had a specific uh, job in mind for me, but I do think that they were wanting something with a little bit more stability. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my dad would say something that you can get a four, you can you know have a four hundred one k. So you know coming to Tulsa and then going to ORU, um, where I did not study music, but. At my time, I didn't graduate from ORU, but my time there definitely helped me to realize that this is what it is that I want to do. You know, to, you know, even at the time, not having the support of my parents with that, like, this is what I want to do. So that played a big part, and um, say another defining moment uh, is it's kind of like you said, like uh, Ali said, uh, just now. You know, like just the path that I'm walking now, you know, I have uh, two kids, and uh, it really helps for me. It it puts a fire under you because one, mm. you know, my kids are a priority, and I have to make sure that they're taken care of. They have needs, and those needs have to be met. Uh, but also, um, just. I, I want to be able to show them that, you know, you don't have to, you know, just be locked into a nine to five every day. If that's mm. not what it is that you want to do, I want to be able to show them something bigger, you know? Yeah. I want them to be able to live their dreams and, you know, to not let uh, anybody stay them away from that. I want them to see that it's possible. You know, that if, if my dad did it, then, you know, I can do it too. And just to be able to set them up. Uh, for success and give them that support that I, you know, that I long for. So I would say, you know, again, now is definitely a, it's a defining uh, time for me or season. I, I love that I'm getting to know you both in this very defining time. I also say that uh, Angela's got a an energy drink here that he's <laughs> with two kids and and a business and as a musician. Like I bet that I bet that energy drink is helping you achieve all those if I'm, if I'm goals honest, too <laughs> yeah my daughter she she hates that i drink them but uh she just started school my baby girl just started school or her big girl school she started her uh-huh. big girl school pre-k yeah Yay. so um we're all adjusting to this new 
schedule and getting her. I didn't realize how real it was until uh, yesterday when I went to pick her up. And I was like, all these kids are getting out of school. There's a lot of traffic. It's a lot happening right now. Mm-hmm. Like, this is this is real. So, yeah. <laughs> Energy drinks. I'm Energy afraid. drinks, yes. They will They will take us far. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me, um, I, you know, I'm not doing as much music now in my life as I did in my 20s and 30s. Um, but similar to you guys, started... Uh, you know, did my first solo in church. I'll tell you really briefly. Um, when I was in fourth grade, I did David Meese's song, We Are the Reason. Um, you may not even know that song because I'm older than you all. But um, <laughs> but I also played the organ, not how an organ is played in the black church. It is it was very, you know. Is it a pipe organ? No, it was an electric organ, but it was very proper and like you just follow the music. There's there was The organ did not provide the atmosphere and so much of the ethos of the worship experience that I have experienced when I'm in an African-American church. But Understood. yeah, it is like it is more than an instrument, in my opinion, mm-hmm. in 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 your tradition. But that I m- messed up, like I started an organist at a piano. And so that's all I knew how to play. So I'm playing a Christian pop song on the organ. And I sat down and the music minister was a Sunday night service because that's where you start your solos, right? And I sat down and uh, the uh, music minister told me one thing when I practiced. He said, don't forget to turn the microphone on because it had an on mouth button. I I forgot to turn the microphone on. So (laughs) I did the whole song and then I finished and I I just kept going. And he came over to me afterwards and he said, that was beautiful. Um, now let's do it so everyone can hear you. And he made me do it again. He turned the microphone on. So that's my just short oh, little no. vignette that I also like understand this music at a young age um, shaping me, shaping my my vocation, my yeah. faith, my life experiences. Like, you know, you got a huge crush on somebody in high school or college and like the music speaks to that. Like just all those places in my life that it touched. And mm-hmm. so... I just thought I would let you guys share a little bit about how for you, um, do, sometimes, do you sometimes work out your faith and the complexities of life uh, through music? And, and if so, like, give us some examples. Like, what, when, in, in the journey you've been on thus far with, as musicians and pursuing this, like, how do you see your faith and some of the difficulties and complexities in life you know, finding their way into your music and also helping you wrestle with it. Um, hmm. I think that's a loaded question. I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for the sake of time, I'm you know I'll keep it mm, as brief as possible. But um, for me, uh, music is music is life, hmm. and that includes you know. But my faith, I'll say, I'll be transparent and say that uh, I am not the best at articulating my thoughts or feelings at times. And for me, music is the space to where, you know, I don't really have to say much. Yeah. You know, if I don't know what to say, I don't have to say anything. Hmm. You know, I can just, you know, sit down and play and express, you know, God knows what it is that my heart is saying or that my heart needs to say. You know, so, you know, whether it's times of need or times of trouble or, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, um, 
the music is it's it's an outlet you know mm. it's a it's an outlet for me uh, so I think in short you know again it, it plays a, a big part um, in you know working through working up my faith you know again especially being a musician like there's nothing is uh, set in stone nothing is guaranteed you know Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, you go and you clock in and you get, you know, you know what you're going to get at the end of each, you know, work week or each month or whatever the case may be. It's not always like that. You know, you have some good and you have some bad. So, you know, in those in those times, you know, again, just really being able to communicate to God and express, you know, what it is that I'm feeling and just knowing that he hears me and that he's uh, going to make sure that I have everything you know, that I need and that I don't lack. So, yeah. Yeah. I agree with Angelo. It Music definitely is an outlet for me as well. And so since I am a vocalist, I don't play any instruments. Well, I play, but I'm not very <laughs> fluid in them. Tell the truth, um, <laughs> But um, a lot of my expression is through writing. Right. And... Um, even as a little girl, like, of course, we didn't have iPhones or, or iPads where you can just take notes in it, and it kept it. So a lot of my writing were in notebooks. My mom would buy me notebooks, and my karaoke machine had the little tapes that you can, you know, press play and record at the same time for it to record. And I would do a lot of my writing that way. Like, even as a child, my parents could upset me because I didn't get to go play outside, <laughs> and I would write a song about it. And then as I got older, kind of like how you were saying, Miss Denise, like if I had a crush on a boy, instead of saying like, I like you, <laughs> I'd write a song about it. Um, and so um, I had Do multiple... we have one of those to sing today? Just No. <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know where the notebooks went. I think that I threw them in the trash. But, I feel like we need to find them. Um, I agree. They're probably at my mom's house in my old room still somewhere. I like but, you. Um, you like me? Check yes and no. <laughs> But yeah, a lot of a lot of my expression came through writing, and so um, as you heard the first song, like I don't do, um, I don't write Christian music. I've right. always wanted my music to, not that Christian music doesn't reach outside of the four walls of the church, right? Um, but I've always wanted my music to be relatable because I've always wrote music that were related to me right and it was real and truthful and honest to me and authentic to me and if i felt the same way and even with you mentioning like oh and i had a crush on someone then that means someone else has felt the exact same way and so why not write music that um is relatable so some of my music can be extremely transparent um and very you know open and direct and i love that I think overall, I'm that way. So my music can reflect that as well. So it definitely, um, music has always played a huge part, but my expression is through writing. Yeah. And I, yeah. And you have a song you're going to do for us today that is definitely come, flows from that. Do you want to introduce that? Sure. Um, this song is called I Need To, and it actually, um, I wrote it, I guess, on two years ago uh two or three it's going on three i believe but um it's called i need to and it's about um a moment in my life where i was kind of low dealing with some depression and anxiety Um, i had just had a major surgery and 
honestly, it came about because I hadn't showered in a few few days, to be completely honest. And I was just trying to give myself a pep talk. And I was just telling myself, get up and shower. Just get up. Get up out of your bed. Get up out of this space and go get in the tub. And because I sing everything, I literally was singing, I need to get up and shower. And it came out as a song. And instead of me getting up the shower, I actually wrote it. And then I got in the shower. <laughs> That's incredible. I, I'm really excited. They're going to hear this full song. I just want to I just want to preempt it by saying I can't think of anything in my life that I could take that phrase and make a beautiful song out of it <laughs> but you're getting ready to really be blown away by by this song I need to so um, here it is What does that mean? 
I absolutely love that song. And I remember the first time that you all performed that at the well, there was, there was a line of people wanting to talk to you, Allie, afterwards. Yeah. It really touched people. So that, that idea that what you write, you're really hoping connects with somebody else is absolutely true. I've, I've seen it in person. Um, so the next question I have for you all is, is solely, well, it's not solely, but it's very much rooted in, you know, loving what we do at the well. We're about this idea of spiritual hospitality, like what it means and how it affects us and how our lives can be literally transformed when someone welcomes us, um, welcomes us into a space that we are uncomfortable in or welcomes us into an experience or welcomes us because we're new or welcomes us to deal with our crap, you know, like just whatever the welcome is, it can be life transforming. And so it can be simple, it can be huge, but I just wondered if you guys have an idea or an experience that you can share where you were unexpectedly welcomed, like you were super surprised by the welcome that you received. Well, I'll share my experience first. Um, for me, I think it was during one of those defining moments that yeah. I talked about earlier when I had left another church and I was kind of going around just visiting different churches to figure out like, God, where do you want me to be? And I actually visited um, Life Church. Mm -hmm. And when I went, I wasn't expecting anything, but if any of you have ever been to the Life Church, it is a predominantly white church. Right. And I definitely, I didn't grow up in church, but most of my churching <laughs> was in predominantly black churches. So um, walking into this church, I didn't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to try something different. Um, I was very open to trying something different. And I remember um, just being greeted, and it could be because I did look different than everyone else. But it definitely was unexpected, um, and everyone was super friendly. And the space that I was in in my life at the time, I needed that. Mm. I needed to feel love and a genuine hello um, because I was a part of a, a growing ministry. Um, you can very well turn into – it just gets very monotonous. You see the same people, and – it grew and you feel like, you know, you've become a number. And mm. so to walk in and it's just like they want to know your name and genuinely are asking you how was your week and standing there and listening to it. Wow. And, you know, they took the time to like, wow, you know, I hate that that's how your week has gone. Do you mind if I pray with you? Um, it was different. It was a very different experience. That's not something that I've ever experienced at a, a black church. And so... Um, yeah, that would have been my moment of unexpected welcome. It was, it was genuine, very genuine. And, and, um, I loved every minute of it. Like I said earlier, it was definitely something that I needed. So I love that. That's a great shout out to our friends at Life Church, And I think that's something they've worked really hard to make sure when people walk through the doors, Most I definitely. think that's so cool. Mm -hmm. How about you, Angelo? Got an unexpected welcome? If I'm honest, I can't, I can't think of one for me. However, uh, I'll use my kids. Yeah. Because that's a concern for me always. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, well, I'll just speak for me. Like, 
for me, when you, when someone uh, is, you know, uh, nice to my kids or inviting to my kids, that to me is, it's like you're doing that to me. Mm. And, and I mean, again, I'm a, you know, we talked about it a little bit ago, but, uh, well, off air, but <laughs> I am an introvert, very introverted. My kids are not. <laughs> they are not. So I think for me, it can be scary at times, like, because they'll just walk up to people and just wave or, you know, start conversations. And that could be scary for me because I'm like, okay, well, I don't know how these other people are going to respond and I want my kids to feel, you know, rejected. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, all that to say, uh, for me, that would be when I first took uh, my daughter, when she went to, um, she went to daycare. She went to daycare at, um, a facility that is in uh, St. John's, like Bright Horizons or some some kind of facility, but yeah. it's in St. John's. And um, she was uh, she was one of the one of uh, very few uh, of the black kids there, and for me. Yeah, I mean, obviously everything isn't about race. However, what I do know is growing up back home for me, mm-hmm. you know, I experienced, you know, I had my experiences or my encounters with racism, but that's Michigan. And for me, Oklahoma, from my uh, experience and from what I've seen and heard, is a lot worse than wow. back home. It's, it's more blatant here. Mm-hmm. You know, back home it's more, uh, it's more subtle. Mm. And here it's more in your face. It's more direct. So, you know, with her being, you know, in uh, in that kind of facility, you know, with, you know, being one of the few little black kids in there. It's a moment of fear there, yeah, right? It's, oh, absolutely. That's my that's my baby. Now, I use my daughter. Again, I have, a, I have my daughter. She's my oldest. And then I have my son. Uh, my daughter will be five in November. And then my son will be two in November. So, I mean. I use her a lot because she's, I'm experiencing a lot of firsts with her. So, yeah, that to me, you know, when she went to the facility and, you know, that was scary. But to see how they welcomed her and they embraced her and her teacher, you know, it was mm-hmm. just like, you know, I could tell that she loved what she what she does. So, yeah, they, they just welcomed her. They embraced her. They invited her. And even just to see, like, the kids. Because, I mean, you know, a lot of times, it, you know, they say it starts at home. Mm-hmm. So, you know, racism isn't something that's, you know, that just comes natural. That's something that's taught. So even to see the little kids being so warm and inviting, you know, to my baby and, you know, just accepting of her, that to me, that made my heart very happy. I, I just think you, you touch on something that is super important for people who are listening who um, don't have to have that fear go through their mind when they walk into a mostly white space. Like, both of you have shared, like, the vulnerability that's required there. Um, And it it leads me to the next question, because I think another thing we want to do at The Well, we want to go beyond that welcome. We want to literally learn how to share life with people when we come from different places, different ethnicities, different experiences, different ideologies, and we can say that and have that as a goal, but then like the lived version of that takes practice. Mm -hmm. It takes sacrifice. 
It requires the person who doesn't have to worry about that to think about it and to ask themselves, hmm, how can I change that? How can I make sure that that doesn't continue, that that doesn't happen? Um, and, and honestly, I, you know, I, I have the question for you, but I have my little mini sermonette here. Like we, we can have this uh, a visceral, you know, rejection of the, the phrase systemic racism, but, mm -hmm. yeah. but systemic racism is, you know, at its core, just a way of life that's in place that nobody is willing to change who it benefits, but we have to recognize if it's hurting some, another group mm -hmm. and, and it's not, it's not trying to say, you know, somebody's evil and they're so racist, although that's possible. It's also just possible that we are too comfortable and we're just not willing to make the sacrifice it, mm -hmm. it requires for someone else to have the same experience as us mm -hmm. or to have the same opportunities or the same welcome. Mm -hmm. So I, I love that you guys have those experience in those spaces, but it does lead me to this next question because Tulsa has had a really significant year, year and a half. We just finished the 100 year anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre. And I've talked to lots of friends who have family history in that. Mm -hmm. And that has been powerful for me to have someone share with me, oh yeah, that here's how that affected my family. Like the very personal connection to it. Um, so we've had that and at the same time, we live in a state, to your point, Angelo, that you know, whether or not people are willing to admit it, racism is an issue. We have to address it. And at the same time, we are trying to acknowledge a very difficult, painful yeah. blot on our on our city's history. We also have had a state legislature that has been enacting laws and legislation that says, and I'm not quoting the legislation perfectly, but basically the summary of it is, we don't want any child in school to feel uncomfortable talking about race and racism. Well, that's a very broad thing. And that's a that's a very scary thing. Like, well, so if somebody says, well, I'm uncomfortable, then I don't have, I, we, don't, we can't teach it. And where that line is, and the fact that we would want to shy away from the discomfort of something that was wrong, that we needed to do differently, yeah. that we needed to, we need to repent of, we need to, make right um but we're gonna not because we don't want to feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. I, I i as a person of faith that just really like huh i, th I think discomfort is a is a part it's of a, yeah. becoming a better yeah. human being yeah. so all of that there okay i'm done with my mini sermon um <laughs> so in that i'm asking your experience whatever you think about like glimpse into your experience as a black tolson and an Oklahoman in a year like this where we've been, these two things have been like sitting right next to each other. We're acknowledging the past and we're actually refusing to move forward for the future. Um, what, what, what do you, what's your experience been this year with this? Yeah, um, well I will say, you know, as a black Tolson, I've lived here my entire life and so there's a lot of different experiences that I've had um, but during this particular time, um, when we were in celebration of the 100 year um, anniversary of the massacre, um, it definitely brought a lot of things to light for me. It was a great time, especially for the black community, 
we celebrated mm-hmm. like crazy. We had a leg- legacy fest. Um, we had the largest Juneteenth in the nation. It was which incredible. Which was really cool. Yeah. Um, that the Clueless Band got to be a part of. Just yes. We'll plug. Um, <laughs> but um, we had that. And, you know, it was also a very painful experience to see um, people that you considered somewhat, whether it was a friend or an associate, to hear their stance behind the um, event itself uh, was disheartening. Mm. And, you know, to see that, you know, I considered you someone in my life and to see that, you know, you could care less about this particular event, um, like I said, was super disheartening. And so as a Black Tolson, it was a very emotional um, moment for me um again very celebratory but also just eye opening um i remember like during that time um went to target and i've been followed around and stuff before but mm-hmm. i remember this particular lady was like really following me around i'm just looking for like a swimsuit top um but i think because emotions on both parties was very high yeah um that was happening and of course like with the school systems and stuff like that. Like I'm a vocal instructor, like Miss Denise mentioned before. Um, and where I teach is a predominantly white area. And if you've ever been to Tulsa, if you're not from Tulsa or ever visit, visited Tulsa for long periods of time, um, we still have like a lot of gentrification here. We still have where, you know, one side of town has more grocery stores and essentials than another side of town, which, Right. It's split right in the middle. Um, but with all of that taking place, um, you know, kind of like Angelo was saying, even with his daughter, racism here is very just open um, from even with all that happening in the election and all of that. You see people driving around with their Trump flags and their American flags and saying that, you know, they're patriots and because they're patriots they're believers and what you know what they believe in is right and it's so right that they're willing to treat people wrong it's it's interesting mm-hmm. you know that's um, interesting that that's the word you used to describe it is interesting yeah it's it's interesting <laughs> that's and, a and kind word i think for me it's very interesting <laughs> because you know um it's very interesting to me because like i did not grow up in church mm-hmm. and so Um, I take my experience um, as a great one simply because I know of people that (laughs) in the black church we'd say like grew, basically were born on a pew. Yeah. Um, And for me, that wasn't my experience. So I feel like I didn't have to deal with a lot of the religiousness that came with Mm -hmm. Christianity. However, I do see it. And... um, it's just very interesting how you can say that this is something that God wants and the God that I serve, the God that I know for myself, the God that I have relationship with would never, ever, ever, ever hmm. tell me to love someone else more because or treat someone else differently because of the color of their skin, something that they have no control over. 
Yeah. Nothing um, that they have control over. So it's it's definitely been an experience. Um, like I said, being a black Tolson is already an experience in itself. However, during that during this particular or that particular time in our city, emotions were high. You know, we have different um, protests and things going on as well. I think George Floyd was happening all at the same mm. time. So we had issues with people putting Black Lives Matter places. People felt like they needed to talk about blue lives and how they matter as well. And it was just a lot going on. Um, and it just made it, you know, I can't speak for anyone else, but I know for me, it just made me feel like the other parties did not want to hear our voices because they're more comfortable kind of like ignoring and saying like, hey, we don't want to be uncomfortable um, because how we're living is just fine. Like you live your life and we'll live ours and yeah. Um, for me, if I had to sum up, uh, my experience being a black Tolson over the course of a year or, or even longer, honestly, I think the word that I will use to describe it is, uh, draining. Wow. Yeah, it can be draining. Um, and I think even uh, being a father makes it even more draining because I'm not just concerned about me. I have to be concerned about my kids. It's one thing when uh, when it's just me and, you know, yeah, you have to, you know, worry about because, I mean, it is Oklahoma and, you know, it is more uh, blatant here. Racism is more blatant here. So it's one thing when I just have to worry about myself and, okay, well, if I get pulled over, okay, this is what I need to do. But even if I do that, that it still doesn't guarantee my safety. And I'm, I'm not the kind of person, you know, everybody tries to justify things. And, okay, well, if you just do this and if you just do that and if you follow this and if you have your hands here and don't talk back, then, you know. But, again, even that, that's still not a guarantee, you know. And then, yeah, there's a lot that comes with that. And I think sure. for me, yeah, it, it's real because, I mean, we've had incidents where, you know, uh, people who – you know they don't. You know I don't have a record. I have I have no kind of criminal record. And there are people who who have no kind of criminal record. You know who have been uh, you know murdered and they're not able to return to their families. You know just for um, you know out of fear is what I think it all boils down to. I think it boils down to fear. Hmm. I think that's where racism is at its core. I think that we fear what we don't understand, and I think that. Um, <laughs> black culture is a lot to understand uh, however I don't believe that there's a need to fear anything um, I know you know we talked about you know people being comfortable you know when it comes to uh, you know just not really we want this group of kids to be comfortable so we're not going to talk about our history or you know what's happened but at the same time, it's like if you don't talk about your history, then you know they say if you don't, you know, if you don't know your history, then you're doomed to repeat it. That's right. So it's like okay, well, you know, it may be in our best interest, you know, to be. Un- and I mean, that, if I'm honest, that's wisdom. Like wisdom says, be uncomfortable now, do the hard work now, so that we can reap the benefits of it later. So if I have these uncomfortable conversations now, although 
yes, you know, the kids may be uncomfortable, but one, it's history and it's truth. And it's going to help them in their future to not have to repeat the same events. So it would be in, in our best interest as a collective to, like, let's discuss these things. And I think uh, the other part that people don't understand is, you know, yeah, no one is blaming. Yes, it happened in the past, and no one is holding you to the past. Like, we understand that, you know, uh, you know, you weren't out there doing X, Y, or Z, or, you know, you were not, you, you didn't, you know, go out and, you know, your actions were the ones that, you know, that caused harm to, you know, other people. That's understandable. Understood. Get it. However, again, you know, that doesn't take away the fact that that's still something that we need to learn from. You know, we, that doesn't mean that you have to take the blame for it or nobody's blaming you for it. Again, you know, like we can share responsibility and say, okay, hey, this is something that, you know, that happened and let's learn from it and let's grow from it and let's be better from it. And I think at the core of it, that's what it should be about. Like, I feel like, again, what's what's been uncomfortable for a moment, you know, if that's going to, the results are going to be, you know, life-changing, you know, afterwards, you know, or world-changing, really, you know, for, uh, for everyone. Yeah. I remember um, at an old job, my last job I used to work at, um, I was having a conversation with a couple of the nurses there, and um, with Angelo talking about fear, it made me think of this, but a lot of the fear that they have is, is taught, mm. and it's passed down generation to generation um, because they're told as small children, don't talk to them, don't, you know, you don't have to be friends with people that look like that come back over here with Mandy, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. And so they grow up thinking that we're maybe mean or vicious or lazy or whatever the case may be. And we are just as educated, just as full of life and competent to do everything that they're capable of doing. And I think it's just... We're human. Yeah, we're human. And Mm -hmm. it's this fear thing, like my... This past week, um, my grandmother, she's currently um, in the hospital, but she gets dialysis, and there's a dialysis nurse there, and um, he definitely is a Republican. He had this can- <laughs> canister and on it had a big sticker that was like, let's celebrate this holiday, and it was like Obama's last day in office or something like that. But at first, he would not talk to my mom and I, and of course, my mom and I are black. He's white. And he was just sitting there. But my mom, she makes friends with anybody. She doesn't care. And she's just chit-chatting, making conversation. But I think because he had the opportunity to have conversation with someone that didn't look like him, I believe not only did he become comfortable because he was very, very talkative after that, but I think he also was uncomfortable with what was on his canister because he as my mom was talking Hmm. he quickly picked it up and switched like just turned it around and sat it back down and got up and came over there and was sitting next to her and chatting with her my mom's showing her pictures and kind of and all kinds of stuff and so i i agree i think that it it is all fear and you you don't understand you lack understanding and so therefore you believe this false narrative about a group of people that you don't even take the time to get to know. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you guys, I feel like we could just sit with that for, and let people just really process all of that. 
Um, I just want to pull some words that I heard. I heard dealing with racism in our city is draining. And I just want people to hear that. Like, um, there was a, <clears throat> I had a, oh, in a white clergy cohort that I was in that was ta tackling our own racism. The first thing they taught us was, it is our job to do the work to understand the story and to not have someone <clears throat> from the black community help us. Like, because it's a draining. Because we, and you guys maybe have heard somebody say, I'm just so tired of talking about this. Mm -hmm. And it was a it was a beautiful moment for me when I heard the um, the very wise response to that. Well, our black friends and our black friends in ministry and our black community have to deal with it every day. They don't get to say, "Oh, I'm tired of dealing with this. I'm not going to talk about it today," because it's it's present every day. So that word draining was just was a powerful word, Angelo. And then. You guys talked about just being willing to do the work <clears throat> that dis that being uncomfortable could be wisdom, like being willing to just work it out. And so I love that. And then the last thing that I just want to, you know, before you move on, just kind of point out is that you talked about not you know, not blaming people. Like we understand, you know, someone today, like we're not blaming them for uh, for action that they took, but it made me ask this question. Could we be harming people with inaction? Mm. You know, could our inaction, our unwillingness to continue working it out actually be harmful too? Um, I just really appreciate you guys digging into that. I know that's hard. And thank you for that. Yeah. Yes, I, know, I feel like at the at the end of the day, all it really is is just conversation. Yeah. Like, that's really all it is. You know, just, on, and honestly, on, on both parts, it's it's conversation, it's communication. Hmm. That's it. Just have yeah. the, because it's just like, you know, the guy that you're talking about uh, for your grandmother. Again, a lot of it is the fear of the unknown. Yeah. We, we don't know what to expect. We don't know what to expect. And that goes both ways. Yeah. It yeah. goes both ways. Because, again, I know, because I've been guilty of it. So I know there are, you know, some black people, you see, you know, a white person, and you're like, okay, here we go. Yeah. So, I mean, it goes both ways. But, again, just being willing to have the conversations to say, okay. You know, but I feel like at the end of the day, I know it sounds, you know, cliche, but I feel like we have more in common, you know, than not. Think, yeah. yeah. Like, it's people. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So how do you think... Think, and this may be a simple answer, but maybe it's a simple question, oversimplified question. But what, how do you see? Let's, let's tie the music and and the and the this reality of our world together. Like, how do you see your music being able to start the conversations, um, bridge understanding? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you see that, but I, I would love to know if you do, if you see a way to, to you know, for music to, to bridge those divides. Hmm. I think it's really just being um, a risk taker and kind of mm -hmm. just putting yourself in different avenues and venues for different people to hear like your voice and to hear um, what it is that 
you know, you have to offer. I'm a vocal instructor, and so a lot of my students are, are white students. And so a lot of them only listen to, you know, country and Christian music. <laughs> and if they listen to pop music, you know, then they're, you can tell they're a little bit, a little bit more diverse, but a lot of them typically listen to, you know, the soft rock, the, mm. you know, all that. And there's, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, however, I've also heard, you know, of white parents saying, well, because a song sounds a certain way, that it has to be talking about drugs, alcohol, sex, you know, um, like all rap music is bad and all, you know, black music, I guess, is bad too because we're not, we're just talking about the same thing over and over. But I think, you know, it's, it kind of just goes back to the whole being uncomfortable thing. Um, just allowing yourself to be open to something different. I know like my band and I, we're big on having a diverse crowd. So we don't only want to be present in the black community, but we want you to be able to go out and jinx and hear what we have going on and be open to that. Cause we're pretty, you know, we're pretty open. We're just ourselves up there on the stage and we have a great time. And typically when we finish, they want us to come back. And so um, I think just putting ourselves in a space where you can really like intertwine the two um, and open up that door to where you can truly see and understand like, you know, racism does not have to exist. It doesn't. It's not. <laughs> it doesn't. And I always have felt like music is one of those universal, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but it is one of those, like, it is a thing that kind of gathers everyone together. Like, if you go to a concert, mm-hmm. every age group, creed, whatever, is there like if they spoke Chinese they understand that song and they are singing it you know so I think it 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 just it's just you being open it's it's kind of what you talked about earlier it's helping people realize what we have in common Mm -hmm. music is I think people don't really think about it this way a lot but music is a language yeah music is a language music is something that can be spoken it can be written. Like it's it's a language, and I think uh, kind of to what I was saying earlier, um, the way that things change is through communication. So I think for me, I think that the role music plays is is pretty big. I think again, that's our means of communication. Mm-hmm. You know, let the music speak. You know, put the because at the, at the core, music is a message. Right. You know, that we're just, it's a message, whether it's about love or whether it's about peace or, you know, whatever. It's a message. So let's put the message in song form. And I think, again, just having different people with different platforms to, uh, you know, to have these conversations, you know, to have these, you know, to make these songs. Because, I mean, you, you'd be surprised, like, you know, <laughs> Me, I'll speak on me, you know. Now, while I do like, I like some rap. I like rap that actually talks about something. (laughs) 
Yeah, I like rap with the message. Mm-hmm. I do like R&B. However, I also like pop. Mm. I like country. I love Carrie Underwood. I do. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Mm-hmm. I, oh, man. Again, so understanding people are not one-dimensional, right? Exactly. That's yeah. it. That's it. And those are the conversation starters. Again, I love Carrie Underwood. <laughs> Carrie Underwood. I, oh, He's a big fan. I am. <laughs> That's I awesome. Carrie, if you're listening out there. I know, seriously. <laughs> awesome. Yep. Right now, Ghost Story is, is one of my top. I love that song. But, yeah, so I think, again, those are the conversation starters, you know, just to be able to, you know, because, again, I mean, we could, as musicians, we can go and we can play a Carrie Underwood song or we could play a Blake mm-hmm. Shelton song or something like that, and it's like, okay, well, you know, I didn't expect, I didn't expect them to do that. But now, again, you here's the platform provided for us to have conversation. Oh, you like, oh, yeah, I love so-and-so. Okay, well, have you heard this song? And, again, just it, from there, the conversation grows, and we get to have the difficult conversations, you know, because we get to see, okay, wow, you, it, we're really just people. We have a lot in common, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot in common. I would have never, you know, again, that's, you know, they say you can't judge a book by its cover. I think it's true, you know. You can't assume. Just like you can't assume that all, you know, all country music or all, you know, rap music, all country music is good. And you can't assume that all rap music is bad. Like, right. it's just music. It's music. And, well, that's a whole nother rabbit hole because, I mean, music is, it, it's interpretation. But mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. So it, when I got my um, Spotify wrapped, is that what it's called? Spotify mm-hmm, wrapped mm-hmm. at the end of the year. Um, I've had a 15-year-old riding in my car all year playing <laughs> <laughs> his music on my car so in my spotify route was Giveon <laughs> and tyler the creator <laughs> yeah so that's awesome i've been having that experience of like really listening to lyrics mm-hmm. and and going oh god there's a story here or mm-hmm. there's a there's a struggle or this is beautiful i love Giveon's voice oh my gosh yeah. i love his voice so i just thought i would throw that in there because i'm like yeah I, I get that um first of all you guys have just really blessed me today with um, with honesty and like just sharing your story. And I feel like I've gotten to know more of what is underneath all that I see happening for us at the well when you when you are doing music for us. Um, I, I thought it'd be fun to end with, uh, and you don't have to have five, but you know, you got, what are, who, are your, who are your top all time favorite? <laughs> artists, music artists. It's like, man, only five? I know. Yeah, so for me, and you guys, please look up these artists. They're yes. amazing. Um, My first would be Moonchild. Uh, when I made my band, they're my inspiration. So if you're listening out there, Amber, it's you. <laughs> so Moonchild would be number one. Number two um, would be Brandy Norwood. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. Number three would be John Bellion. He's a singer, rapper, songwriter, and producer, and he produces all of his own music. Wow. Um, number four, ooh, I think Whitney Houston would be yeah. number four. Mm-hmm. She's awesome. Now, her vocal technique growing up was terrible. <laughs> if you ever watch any of her documentaries or anything like that, her voice was always hoarse after a show, always, because she sung wrong, but yeah. she did great. Um, and then my last one, I thought I had five. I said only five and now. Oh, that's okay. You want to um, stop at four? I have a fifth one. <laughs> oh, yes. My fifth one, um, I believe, would be, well, I, can I say two? 
Sure. Okay. My fifth would be Layla Hathaway. And then my sixth would be Robert Glasper. He's a keyboardist. Well, I'm like, I actually have not heard of some of those artists, so mm. I'm going to go check them out. Yes. I've heard of Brandy Norwood, but yeah. Okay. So me. Yeah. Okay. You're up. So uh, just because of my last response to the question, the prior question, I have to say number one, Carrie Underwood. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So again, love Carrie Underwood. Um, so Carrie Underwood, I'd say two. I'd go Marvin Sapp. Now, okay, let me. So he's a gospel artist. However, okay. let me say this because I am a musician and a producer. I'm looking from a different lens, mm. and I'm focusing more so on the musicality. So what okay. I will say is, although I'm saying Marvin Sapp is really the his production ah. team, which is Aaron Lindsay. So I'll say Aaron Lindsay because okay. a lot of my are again they're musicians slash producers. So number three would be Adam Blackstone. Mm-hmm. Now Adam Blackstone, I don't think you're gonna find any music out from him. However, Adam Blackstone is Adam Blackstone is everything. Adam Blackstone is a, probably, a, a arranger, a producer, yeah. writer, oh, everything, wow. and he does some. You know, he's the guy that you hear, but you don't, you never see. Hmm. So Super Bowls. Matter of fact, the last Super Bowl that yeah, he, he that, was the music director for that Super Bowl. Really, I loved that. Adam Blackstone does. Every award show yeah. that you hear, he's, he's the a music director ones. behind the scenes. Yeah. That is super he's cool. He's that guy. So, again, he's the guy that, you know, not many people will know his name or recognize his name. But you've seen but his you work. But you know his work. Mm-hmm. You hear his work constantly. He works with some of your favorite artists. Hmm. So, is that three? That's three. Okay. So, yeah. Right, because Carrie Underwood, uh, Marvin Slap, slash Aaron Lindsay. Adam Blackstone. Hmm. Four would be, I don't know, it's not a necessarily a person. I think it's more so of, uh, uh, well, it's not an entity, but it's a, it's a, 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 group? a label. Oh. And I'll say Motown. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I have to say Motown because I'm, I'm seeing the effects of, uh, growing up, you know, around yeah. that now mm-hmm. because the feel, Motown music feels incredible. Yeah. And as a musician, one thing I, I often say and have to remember is that, you know, yeah, music is a language, but everyone doesn't speak that language. But what we do know is that uh, everyone can feel. Yeah. And they, they may not be able to come and comprehend, you know, come and tell me, you know, hey, this whatever chord that you played is incredible. Or, but they do know how it made them feel. They know that my music either made them feel good or it did not make them. Or, you know, whatever the, it brought back yeah. memories or whatever the case may be. So for that, again, Motown, um, I, there's too many people to name and all that. So <laughs> Motown as a whole. Yeah. Love it. What about that one guy? Who? And he's the music director for Khalid or Khalid. Well, I haven't even gotten... Okay, sorry. <laughs> okay. So, you know what, though? I, I, I do love Kyrie because Kyrie is very influential in what it is that I do now. So, he yeah, he's the music director for Khalid, or however you say his name. 
but <laughs> he's great. But my number five, and again, they're not in any particular order, but right. my number five would have to be Michael Jackson. Yeah. Would have to be. Yeah. Like, he, Michael Jackson, man, Michael Jackson was, and honestly, he lives on, he yeah. still is, mm-hmm. but uh, that's a force. It's like a genius. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I never, so what's crazy is I never, so I grew up, again, in church, so my family was super safe, basically, after a certain point. So certain stuff we did not listen to. <laughs> like Shirley Caesar, Yolanda Adams, cool. Michael Jackson, not so much. Uh. But um, as I got older, again, you know, even back to Motown, like the feel. Yeah. The feel of his music and the fact that uh, he, his decisiveness, mm-hmm. like, give me this. I want this. No, don't do that. Do this. Like that, he he knows exactly what, it, or he knew exactly what he wanted. That the guy, guy was a musical genius, and then not even just the music, but on the business side of things. This dude, his catalog, he his ownership. I just found out that basically he owned the rights to a lot of these people. A lot of these songs that we were that we heard growing up, are like you know, like Isaac Hayes and people like that. He owned their catalogs. Wow. He he owned. Uh, uh, I think the Beatles catalog. Goodness, that's crazy! Mm-hmm. Wow, like that dude. What? That's and again the ownership of even you know his music, his masters, and things like that. But I love how you you guys in both of your lists were people that were not many of them not solely an instrumentalist or vocalist but like the whole artist like Mm -hmm. involved in multiple layers of their own art and their own craft and I think that it speaks to what you all do but it also for me I love that when it's you know the singer songwriter thing is I I don't think I write great songs but I I'm I'm drawn to the person who's written their own music Mm -hmm. I love that so and and has brought it together you know with all the artistic um, direction that it's had. Um, this has been so great. Uh, I just want you to tell folks um, a little bit about what's coming up. Like, what? where do they find um, music for uh, the band Clueless? Where do they see you perform this fall? What do you, what do you want to tell them about how to come find you? And, Angel, if you want to put a plug in for what you do for productions, go for it. So Yeah, so um, you can... I'm like the face of the band. So you can follow me on Instagram at underscore Ali Momo. It's spelled A-L-L-I-E-M-O-M-O. I'm eventually going to change it. I just don't know what I'm going to change it to. <laughs> um, so it's just my personal Instagram. Um, you can follow our page on Facebook, which is The Clueless Band. Um, and if you follow either of those, it'll keep you up to date with our next um, event that we have our next event actually is a private event so um but if you just stay on the lookout i'm always posting and keeping up with that keeping you guys in the loop with that um have some music on spotify here very soon so all the songs that you've heard you'll be able to actually listen to it over and over and over in your car or yay while you're doing dishes very soon as well um so please just follow me on instagram and you'll uh, be able to stay up to date with that um 
Oh, I mean, yeah, I don't really use it right now. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> we were just saying like the clueless bins, um, Instagram, but I'm since I'm the face, I'm still trying to decide how that's gonna work. But it's again, fun. just follow me on Insta and you can follow our page, the clueless band on Facebook, like I said before. Okay. There we go. Okay. So uh you can follow me on Instagram at is it A Hurley? I think it is. It's yours. I know, right? <laughs> I think it's social A Hurley. Media, social media is. He's checking yes. really quick. <laughs> yep, it is. It's A Hurley. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. When it comes to social media, I am working on doing better. Okay. Yep. So, yeah. At, uh, on Instagram at uh, A Hurling. Um, oh, yeah. So, if you need any kind of production work done, if you needed a song produced or. Um, need help writing or anything like that any kind of uh, recording that you want done or even if you have a song and you need some help arranging parts or anything like that then please don't hesitate to uh, reach out and uh, send inbox me at hurling productions we'll make sure that we get you taken care of that's awesome so also if you want to hear them play for us they are typically um, the the musicians on the first and the third Sundays um, at the well at five o'clock on Sunday evenings. And that's also an open invitation to join us for our community dinners there where we really do gather around a table and share a meal. And we talk about some fun things. Like last week I asked people if they could invent something, what would it be? And we have those conversations around uh, dinner. We also um, do some singing and listening to um, great songs um if you had joined us sunday night you would have gotten to jump in on don't stop believing because we were talking about faith so we all just belted out journeys don't stop believing um but also they they lead us in you know meaningful sacred and secular music that speaks to where we're trying to go so we this is an open invitation to join us for dinner at at the well on sundays at five and if you're there on the first and third sundays you'll hear angelo and Allie. I'm leading us. I just want to say thank you to you all one more time. Thank you so much. Um, and to everyone that's listening, just grace and peace to you as you as you go through this week, as you begin your September month. Um, may you know how and, and figure out healthy and good and welcoming ways to belong in, in the story that God is writing for your life. And if you ever need... Um, just encouragement in that. Want to, you know, have some place to bounce ideas off of or to figure out where you are and where the journey is taking you. We would love to hear from you. You can email us um, at hello at thewelltulsa.org or you can go to thewelltulsa.org and fill out our contact sheet and there's a little place for you to, to send us a note. So, And to take us out of this episode today, we have an original piece by Angelo that uh, we want you to enjoy. So stay tuned for one more song.
Friends, I am so grateful you joined us for this conversation and story today. I want you to know you can connect with us on Facebook at The Well Tulsa Dinner, find us on Instagram at The Well Tulsa, and you can see what we're doing each week at thewelltulsa.org. But most importantly, we want you to know you are always welcome with us. All of who you are is welcome. All of what you bring about yourself and your life and your story when you show up at the door is welcome. So let us know how we can encourage your life and faith this week.